the cotton gin. This is an odd episode to start off on. I feel it's pretty significant in the world of manufacturing as it goes with cotton manufacturing and textile weaving, looming, all that good stuff. But before we get truly into this thing, let's, uh, let's go over some sources. We got History Channel, Economic History of Medieval India, it's a book, and ThoughtCo.com really helped me with the research. Garrett did all this work. I'd now like to uh, give him the credit. Well, yeah, we'll be uh, switching off researching every couple episodes or so, just to keep things interesting, keep our minds fresh. That um, that article I sent you about the Rhine drying up, I think, would be a good one to get out soon. That's going to have massive economic impacts for Europe manufacturing, dude. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Something that Eli Whitney was the first ever to really invent this cotton gin, but they. You're mistaken. What you were told in school was wrong. He d- did not invent this cotton gin. He simply made it work for U.S. cotton. And cotton gin got its name. The gin part sounds like it resembles the word engine, so a cotton gin. Not the engine. alcohol. Yeah. No, it's not. It is not the alcohol. So I don't. I don't know why they decided to shorten it to gin. Just cotton engine. Interesting. I would like to cross-reference this episode with how to manufacture gin. I'm going on the record saying that should be That's yeah. episode 10. Episode 10, how to manufacture gin. But anyway, this was first used, to my knowledge, in India in the 5th century. That's 400 to 500 AD. What? <laughs> how? So how can that? So Eli Whitney is pretty much what you're saying. So Eli Whitney stole this idea. Didn't technically steal it. So India has this thing where they have long, long strand cotton or something like that. And the U.S. has short strand cotton. And it's the difference is the amount of seeds that is in the cotton. So there is much more seeds in the U.S. cotton. So that's why he was able to really patent this. So then where does the silkworm factor into this? Because I, I don't know. We make clothes out of that, too. That come, the silk comes from a silkworm. I don't know. That's not cotton. Yeah, you never had a silkworm project? No, cotton is cotton, silk is silk. They're two totally different things. So yeah, the fibers, the actual cotton fibers from the U.S. were, it was just so much different. So the same cotton gin that was used in India did not work in the U.S. because it damaged the fibers or something along the lines of that. So insert Eli Whitney here. Eli Whitney... This guy was born in Massachusetts during 1765. His father was a farmer, mechanic, inventor, and all that good stuff. Apparently, he built a lot of cool things as a kid and ended up going to Yale College, or what is known today as Yale University. Upon graduating, he wanted to work as a private tutor, but for some reason, out of nowhere, he was invited to stay with some widow on her plantation. I stayed with a widow for a summer. Yeah, but that's just, it's weird because some widow who her husband died in the Revolutionary War invited him over to stay. What? (laughs) I don't know if she like found out about all the stuff that he built as a a young man or what, because I I think she had the idea for the cotton gin. And he stole it. No, no, no. This, they played it to their favor. I I I can't get past the fact that the Indians had already invented this man. I think I've got a grudge against Eli Whitney now. Yeah, well, he just made it better. He made it work for the U.S. 
So this we industrialized it. Kinda. That's what that's what US we industrialize stuff. We will make it profitable and make money off of it. Oh. Yes, and profitable that's that's what he did. He made it very profitable and like it's kind of a bad situation, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But anyway, the lady that he stayed with, her name is Catherine Green. And I think she had a decent amount of money and a really good idea. That idea being the cotton gin. I'm guessing that Catherine Green just needed some mechanical mind to build this contraption and someone to file a patent for him. Because at this time in history, women could not file for these patents in the United States. For whatever reason, apparently the U.S. government thought that women are incompetent of having a brain that could harness ideas during this time. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. That was, that's all U.S. government. Uh, yeah, we'd like to go on record now as saying the Moab podcast believes that women do have brains. Oh, 100%. And we believe that they should be allowed to file patents. I am not sure if that has been... <laughs> I have not done that research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can most definitely file for patents in this day and age. So this machine was built, and this machine could produce 98% more cotton on a daily basis. So I would say the cotton gin made things much more profitable for those in the South that had cotton, in the Southern United States, that is. So when you're saying it produces 98% more cotton, that means it's taking seeds out of the cotton at a faster rate. Oh, yeah. It could do, like, one one person could take could produce like one pound of cotton a day, like take all the seeds out of it. That's what production means. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good question. How is, how is cotton quantified? Are they bales? By pound. So it can produce 50 pounds daily, one machine. And that's with like the little hand crank guy. Then they got into like bigger industrial machines where it either ran off a water wheel or some type of engine. It's not an engine. So yeah, they, they made it work off like oxen and water wheel, all that all that stuff. Anything you can think of. Well, really, you just need a crank to turn it. So. so it made the cotton manufacturing business so good that the plantation owners decided they needed more slaves to put more cotton in the ground and so on. So one might say that this could have helped start the, the Civil War. I mean, it could have like helped contribute to it. But once again, that's not for me to decide. But even after this machine was built and started being and started producing much more cotton for the cotton industry, it was good for the industry, but not so much for Eli Whitney because there was a few patent problems there. Eli filed for the patent in 1794, but did not get upheld until 1807. That's 13 years, 13 years where people could basically take his idea. So basically, Eli was the only one that had a cotton gin. And if farmers wanted to produce more cotton, then they would go to Eli Whitney to have him produce it. I get all the seeds out of it and stuff with his cotton gin. And they were able to bring a lot more to him and produce a lot more. But he charged an outrageous amount. Was, was Eli Whitney a slave owner? I don't think he was a slave owner because he came from the north. I think he just helped bring more on uh, indirectly with his cotton gin. So yeah, that made it super expensive for other farmers to use Eli Whitney and his cotton gin. So during that time where he didn't actually have a patent, there was a ton of other people that were basically copying his cotton gin. And at that point, 
Eli eventually licensed his gin to other people so they could use it. And I'm sure he got some type of royalty with that. I would imagine he did, and that's sort of how he made money. I think it's fair enough to give a shout-out to the patent number on the cotton gin, uh, 72X, for those who want to look it up. 72X. That's not a number. I believe that is a designation. Cool. 72X. But yeah, even after he made this cotton gin and made it work for U.S. cotton, it never really made Eli Whitney rich because of all the problems he had with getting the patent validated. But eventually he came up with an idea and manufactured muskets like guns with interchangeable parts. And that's sort of what made him rich. And all this stuff that he started doing really like helped other industries like boom as well. Like uh, machine tool industry. Like people needed more machine tools and needed better machine tools in order to make the parts that he needed for either his muskets that he made or the cotton gin. So he really helped other industries move as well. Conspiracy theory time. You're going to probably edit this one out too. Eli Whitney manufactures the cotton gin. It then causes a boom in the South. From there, the demand for slaves increases. Mm -hmm. Seeing this, Eli can smell that war is going to break out because the North is not about the slavery that is being perpetuated by the cotton gin. So he decides to make money on both sides, starts manufacturing guns. This guy is an arms dealer. I don't think that Eli Whitney is that nice of a person. Was he just that smart? We'll never know. Do I sound crazy? No, I mean, that sounds logical. Okay, cool. (laughs) I'll make this cotton gin and have to bring more slaves. The North isn't going to like that, so I'll start this war. Then I'll also sell guns to everybody. The cotton gin was a conspiracy. Started by a Northerner. Incite the Civil War. Wow, you heard it first. <laughs> that could very well be. I'll. I'm going to keep that in there. That's actually pretty funny. That that might need to be the title of our episode is the Cotton Gin, Cotton Gin or Conspiracy. The conspiracy behind it in Eli Whitney. But without the help of uh, Catherine Green and Eli Whitney, we probably wouldn't be able to produce the 15 tons of cotton per hour with. Today's cotton gins. I don't even know if they still call them cotton gins today or some type of cotton machine. But anyway, we can produce 15 tons of cotton. That's U.S. tons, if you're wondering. But that's that's pretty crazy where they could produce 50 with the first one that they ever made. 50 pounds. Now we're producing 50 tons per hour. That's pretty impressive. So I guess you could say that it definitely helped with the nation to grow the cotton industry, cotton manufacturing, which also helped textile manufacturing businesses at that point in time. So I'm guessing it made cotton cheaper so it could make whatever clothing that you needed that was made from cotton cheaper. The U.S. is still a top exporter of cotton. Even though our clothes are made in China, it's looking like millions of tons are imported each year. Where are we still growing cotton at? The South? I don't I don't believe I've ever seen a cotton field. Well, Have you? You live in Ohio, so... I've been in the South before. Where, where do I have to go? South Carolina, Georgia? I've been to I've been to both of those states. When is cotton season? I don't know. Summertime? I'm trying to send you this article. I think it's interesting. So, wait, wait. So, you're telling me that China is importing more cotton from the U.S.? Is that what's happening? Yeah. How do you think they make all of the clothes? So, China is still a huge importer of U.S. cotton. That's impressive. 
I'm sure. I mean, they gotta make our shirts somehow. So, five hundred thousand tons to China in 2017, making cotton the third most valuable U.S. farm export, behind soybeans and hides. Hives? What? <laughs> hides and skins. Oh, okay, that's odd. We got a lot of clouds. Dude, that's impressive. I didn't one. I would never think that cotton is still that, that huge of a product everywhere. I guess it's used in everything. Makes sense. It's why my clothes shrink. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it's the hot water. And well, it, the dryer. hot water and the dryer, but the cotton is why it does that. You know. Taking recommendations for future episodes. If there's a manufacturing process or a person in manufacturing, you'd like to hear us absolutely uh, trample over, shoot us a message. There it is. So, yeah, I appreciate you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is radio. We cannot see you. We'll just keep it at that. We'll see you next time. <laughs> I'm going to, that's, that's it. We'll see you next time.